0: Final week of this series. Woo woo! Uh, You you don't have to say passion about that that I do, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Over the past two months, if you haven't been with us, we've been uh, in the book of Revelation looking at seven different letters. But Jesus wrote these seven different letters to these different churches, and um, today we're going to look at the final letter that he wrote. He wrote to the church at Laodicea. Um, and it's found in Revelations chapter seven, or chapter seven, chapter three, verses 14 through the end, or 22. Now, while you're flipping there, I just wanna go back for a second, all right? I'm gonna go back for a second, and I wanna look at these six things, these six things that the believers had lost focus on, and the, the things that Jesus had said to them that they should be doing, or the great things that he had for them to pursue. So in week one, we had the church at Ephesus, right? Ephesus had forgotten their first love. And Jesus said to them, he said, I desire for you to be a great commandment church. In other words, a church that loves God and loves people. And we said as a part of that, that we believed that really what he was saying is, is that we should be a church that's not only about our friends, but about our friends, friends, right? That we should be looking forward to them coming and developing a place that is welcoming and engaging for them when we had church number two right it was Smyrna. we had that wonderful way to learn how to say that word Smyrna. if you can't say that one it's perfectly fine to just do it like that and so um, in this church we had this forgotten comfort this was a persecuted church Everything was uncomfortable. They had forgotten what a comfortable life looked like. And Jesus said to them, that's okay. And he said, I have a great calling for you and a calling to live out a life for me. And we said as we walked away from this church that Jesus has a great calling on all of us as individuals. And living out the passions and the purposes of our life is part of that calling. And to do that for the glory of the church week three we came back to Pergamos right and Pergamos had a a forgotten sin something that they had let creep in to what was going on and Jesus said to them he said look I want you to have a great concern for truth and for doing things right that's what I desire for you and from you and we said Jesus wanted that from us as a church as well, that he wanted us to have a great concern. In fact, we said that word was idea is doctrine. And doctrine is this. Doctrine is uh, anything that we uh, say or do or are teaching from God about God that directs us to the glory of God. All right, let me say that again because I messed it up really bad. So doctrine is teaching from God about God that directs us to the glory of God. That's what doctrine is. And Jesus said, I desire for you to have great doctrine, a great concern for truth. Church number four. Thyatira. Right? I think I added extra R's in there every time I would say this uh, when we were when we did this one. It's not thyra, alright? It's thyatira. And Jesus desired something from them. He desired actually two things from them. The first one was that they would be a church of great character. They'd be of great character. And not only that, but that they would, their character would be determined be like, would be determined by their great covenant. That relationship that they had with Jesus. That that would then supersede all of those things and, and give them the character that he desired from them. Week five, we saw the church at Sardis. And this church was a dead church. They were no longer living. And Jesus said, he said, I want to offer you life. He said, I am life for you. And he desired to be that connection to abundant life. And we said that he wants to be a great connection for all churches. He wants to be at the center of what it is that they're doing. He wants to be at the center of all things inside of his church. And then last week, last week we saw the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And in this church we saw that Jesus was commending them for being a great commission church. They were a church that was on mission. They were on point with what it is that they were supposed to be doing. They understood the message and they understood what it was that Jesus had invited them to continue. And we said, look, that's what Jesus desires of his church is that they would be a great commission church. And so that brings us to today, to the church at Laodicea. Now, I'm not going to just put it up there real easy like that. So you just have it right here at the very beginning. You'll quit listening to me if I do that. So, so let's do this. Let's read the letter together. If you got your Bibles, open them up. Revelations chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. said I know your works you are neither cold nor hot I would that you were either cold or hot but because you're lukewarm and you're neither cold nor hot I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth that doesn't sound so good does it he says but you say I'm rich I've prospered I don't need anything but you don't realize this that you are wretched pitiable poor, blind, and naked. He said, I counsel you to do this. Buy gold from me that is refined by the fire so that you can be rich. Take white garments so that you can clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness would not be seen. And he said, I want you to put salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, those are the ones that I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Because behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, just as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you so very much for the message today, for the opportunity to look at this letter and to talk about what it means. Jesus, that more than anything I think we, all of us wish that we would not be lukewarm as such, spit out. Pray that we would be conquerors. That would be granted to sit down on the throne just as you did. Pray that we would hear what it is that you have for us. Give you glory and honor in your name. Amen. All right, so we have the the church at Laodicea, right? Jesus announces himself, just as he has, has to uh, all of the other six churches, he gives something about who he is to this church. And in this, he announces himself as the beginning of creation, the beginning of God's creation. Now, if you've ever talked with uh, a Jehovah's Witness, or maybe you have a friend or a family member who's a, who's a JW, or maybe you know somebody who's Mormon or even Muslim, then it's quite possible that you've heard this argument before. The argument that Jesus was created and not a creator. If you talk with any of those three groups of people for very long, then this idea will come up. All three of those religions, um, would point not only to this verse to say that, but they would also point over to Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 15, which says this. It says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so they would make a case using these two verses and and a verse out of the Old Testament to say that Jesus Jesus is just a a prophet. He's a a man um, just like you and me. But because of his faith, he was elevated to the point and position of being the son of God. Now, in just a second, I'm going to continue on reading in the book of Colossians about what it says. And we're going to come back and answer this question about who is Jesus? Is he created or is he creator? But I I, I, wanted, I wanted you to, to hear something about the passage that we just read in Colossians that we're going to continue to read because I believe that Jesus was very specifically rever- referring back to this section in Colossians. You see, the, the church at Colossae um, received this letter from Paul Uh, about 30 or so years before this letter to Laodicea had arrived from Jesus. And Colossae is just um, a small distance. In fact, it's less than a half a day's journey from Laodicea. And in the book of Colossians, Paul mentions Laodicea four different times. In fact, in chapter four, he says this, He says once this letter being the letter of colossians has been read among you he said have it also read in the church of the laodiceans and see that you read the letter from laodicea now we don't still have the letter from that paul wrote to laodicea but i guarantee you that they followed this that they were reading the letter between both places uh, and exchanging it so Laodicea would have been very familiar with this passage that was written in Colossians. And so let's read the rest of what Paul has to say after this. Continuing on in verse 16, it says, For him, that's by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, those which were visible and those which were invisible, whether they were thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He, that being Jesus, is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, I want to point out a couple of things in this passage. Here's the first one. Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead. All right. In fact, the Bible tells us over 13 Different stories of people that were raised from the dead some of them raised from the dead by Jesus himself so Jesus was not the first one to be raised from the dead but right after that I think that we have the key word for understanding this idea that was both in Revelation and here in this passage and that is the word preeminent preeminent now the word preeminent means to be first Right? But it's a title. It's a position that was given to Jesus. Has nothing to do with being born or created, but it's the position that was given to him and places him as the head of the church. Jesus reminds this church that not only does this passage right here, which they probably would have memorized, it reminds him of the preeminence of who he is. He was there at the beginning. And he holds this title and position because he is the first, not in creation, but over creation. He's first. Now this letter continues on. And for the second time in the series of seven letters, we church. That is not told anything good about itself. The last one was the church at Sardis. Which was called the dead church. And then we have this church. No commendation. Nothing good is said about them whatsoever. In fact unlike Philadelphia. Where he says I know your deeds. And I'm really excited for what's about to happen. He says I know your deeds. And you're like lukewarm water. Now. Jesus opens up telling him that he likes lukewarm water that makes him wanna vomit. He wants to just spit it out. He would rather that they be hot or cold, but not neither. Now there's something interesting about Laodicea. Laodicea sat on um, the, the Lycos River. Now saying that they sat on the Lycos River is a lot like saying that Australia sits on the Gila River, right, or the Gila River, if you're from around here. I'm not, so we say Gila, right? And at times, at times, the river has water in it and it could supply life around it. And at other times, there is no water in that thing. And if you were trying to get a drink, in fact, I once heard a story from somebody that there were some guys from the prison that escaped and they had a raft because they had seen on a map that there was this river down there and they got down there with a raft and there was nowhere to go. And when they caught them, they just turned themselves in because they're like, we don't know what to do. There's no river here, right? And this is real similar to Laodicea. So how in the world is this city going to survive with no water? So here's what they did. They developed two sets of aqueducts, right? One of them went to um, the city of Colossae. And from there, they piped in this absolutely beautiful mountain, fresh, snow-capped, runoff water that was cold and amazing from that city. And it came to them. And then from the other side, Hierapolis was there. And Hierapolis had this amazing mineral hot spring. It was incredible. And so they piped that one in. And so you think this is great. They have hot water and cold water coming in. But the problem was by the time the water got to them, it was no longer hot. It had traveled and had cooled off. And the minerals had began to deposit all through the aqueduct. In fact, um, Laodicea is thought to be the inventors of the manhole because they had to pop the covers off and climb into the aqueducts and clean the mineral deposits out so that water could continue to flow to them. Hmm, We understand that around here, don't we? And the water that would come from, from Colossae would be so cold when it started but as it came down the mountainside and it was in the, the the pipe system it would get heated up by the 100 and 110 degree temperatures outside and by the time it got to them it was no longer cold water their water was always lukewarm. in fact the water was something that nobody in the city would drink. They wouldn't drink it because they were worried about the bacteria and the minerally tastes that were in it. It was just awful. In fact, it was used more often than not to induce vomiting in somebody. If you wanted to get somebody to throw up, you just gave them a little bit of Laodicean water and they would throw it up because it was that repulsive. And Jesus says to them, you are like the lukewarm water of your city. Ouch. That lukewarm water that's good for nothing. You know, Jesus told them that he would vomit them out, but it's not the only thing that would have conjured up. You see, um, Leviticus 18.28 says this. It said... He said, lest the land vomit you out. This is God talking to the Israelites. He said, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, uh, just like it vomited out the nation that was before you. You see, God had this idea of when somebody was pursuing something, especially things that were connected to idolatry and not pursuing him. If they were walking away from God, that he would them out of the blessing that you've given to them. I think that really that's what Jesus is threatening here. If he says, if you continue to be lukewarm, it's not just that there's this idea of bacterial growth inside of you that is gross and disgusting, but really, if you have continued to leave what it is that I've called you to, right, you could be cold. That cold water from Colossae was refreshing and it was good to drink and it was something that people looked towards, right? But you're not that. And the hot water that came from the, the mineral springs, right? Those were healing waters. Somebody could go sit and relax in that and, and it would feel so good. Both of those two, the hot and the cold, were useful. He says, but you look warm here. For nothing, you're not useful at all. And if you're going to be like that, and if it's because you're pursuing idolatry, then I'm just going to spit you out. What a vivid picture, right? That was so so applicable to this particular group of people that they would have understand that they would have understood this. You know, after using the the water to paint this incredible picture, Jesus then. Uses three more things to communicate to this church. He says to them, He says, You have a need for riches, clothes, and eyesight. Probably won't take much for you to guess the three things that Laodicea was known for, right? They were known as the banking center of all of the Roman Empire. They were an incredibly rich and wealthy city. In fact, we've talked about in other cities that there was an earthquake that leveled some of these cities and they had to rebuild. And Rome gave back five years worth of taxation to these cities to help them build. And when they came to Laodicea, Laodicea just looked at them and said, we don't need your money, we can do this on our own. And they rebuilt themselves. They were an incredibly rich city. But Jesus said, you're not rich in me. He says, you may be rich in the world, but you're not rich in me. And those riches in the world aren't going to get you very far. Second thing Laodicea was known for. They were known for producing a black wool. right? They, the shepherds had bred this sheep that had a dark coat to it. It was a very fine and and very uh, extravagant sort of wool that they had. In fact, everybody desired it. It It's one of the main exports that they had as as a city. And Jesus tells them, not that their clothes don't measure up. Right? Not that they're not good enough. No, he says, in fact, you are naked. He says, you can't hide who you are. And then he offers up something which would be in total contrast to the black garments that would have been produced by their sheep and their shepherds and their wool and clothing industry there. He says, what you need is a white garment. Now, this is the same white garment that he'd encourage the church at Sardis at with. He had said that those who were victorious would receive a white garment. And so Jesus said, that's what you need to be clothed in. And then finally, here's the third thing that Laodicea was known for. They were known for something called a Phrygian powder. Phrygian powder. Now this was a, a special powder. That when it was mixed with that tepid water coming in from Hierapolis and all of the minerals that were inside of it, it created this eye sap. In fact, people from all over the known world <coughs> would come in in order to get this eye sap. They were a home of ophthalmology, of eye care. You see, Jesus tells them, He says, I, in every single one of your areas of pride and smugness, you have an incredible need. See, on the outside, it looks like they had it all. Looks like they have everything that they could possibly ever want. But on the inside, Jesus says, they're on deep, deep spiritual need. And actually, Jesus goes one step further because he says one of I think the most scathing remarks to any of the churches. It's in Revelation three twenty. He says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and, and dine with him, and he'll get to dine with me." You say, "Charles, I don't understand. What do you What do you mean? How is this so such a scathing remark against this church? Listen." Jesus was standing outside of this church. Jesus was not in this church. And he says to them, let that sink in for just a second, right? Before I say anything else, let that sink in. Jesus was not in that church. And he says, all you have to do is just open up a door. If anybody open up a door and let me in, I'll come in. But nobody was. In the first century, when a Roman soldier would come up and knock on your door, you were required to open up the door. You had to bring them into your home. You had to feed them. They had to take whatever the best place to sleep in the house was. Now it's really not that long ago that this was still a practice even here in America. Right? Before we had our own independence, King George's men would come and they would knock on whoever's door that they wanted to knock on and you didn't have a choice about opening up the door. It didn't matter how much food you had for your family to be able to eat. They got to take it all. But Jesus, notice, he didn't say, I stand at the door and knock and you have to come open it for me. He says, if, if, in other words, it was still an optional thing, <coughs> it was an invitation, an invitation for the church to respond to him and the church that responds to him, he says, I, I will give all kinds of things to, he says I will give them the right to sit with me on the throne And he gives us the context of that, right? Because he says, he says, just as I was victorious, you can be victorious and sit down with my father. In other words, Jesus promises to the church. He says, the ones that hear and respond to these words, he says, there's a great potential. You know, in Colossians, Paul mentioned that he was worried about the church at Laodicea. He says, I'm concerned about them. Four times in the letter, they showed up to a whole other church. And then Jesus writes this incredibly scathing letter to them. And here's the truth. Today, there's no church and we ought Now, I want to say two things about this before you say that, well, they must have obviously ignored what it was that Jesus said to them. Because if there's no church there, then what happened? I want to say two things about that. Here's the first one. The entire city of Laodicea has died. There is no city there any longer. But here's the second thing. Archaeologists have been excavating this city area. And here's what they found. There are over 23 different temples that they have discovered in the city of Laodicea. Temples to Zeus and to Athena and to all number of different Greek gods. And as they excavated through all 23 of those different temples, they have found that all 23 of them had a moment in time where they ceased to be a temple worshiping a different deity and became a church. They found moments when all of the statues, all of the idols were broken and replaced by Jesus followers who were worshiping Jesus. I don't think that happened by accident. I think it happened because there was a group of people in Laodicea who, when they received this message, determined that they were going to be sold out, that they were going to be committed to Jesus. (coughs) You know, as I've gone through this series, I've made a really bold statement. A really bold statement that I think is um, incredibly easy to misunderstand. And it happens with our mission statement. For the last year, we've said that we exist to be the church. And during the course of this series, um, we've said that we exist to be um, not just the church, but a great church. That we believe that we're supposed to lead people towards that end and towards that goal. Now, that is very easy to look at that and go that sounds incredibly self-serving it does and I wrestle with that all the time. Is that a right thing? In fact, we may not even keep the great in there. We may try to repackage how it is because I'm not sure that I can spend every week like I'm getting ready to right now to talk about what it is that I mean by this. Because I don't mean that we should be great as in a number of people. I don't mean that we should be great as in the number of baptisms that we have every single year. (coughs) I don't mean that we should be great in the amount of money that we're giving. Yes, all of those things are nice and we will have an offering at the very end, okay? Um, But that's not what I mean by talking about being a great church. You see, I think Jesus in these letters is saying that I desire some great things from my church. I desire for my church to be a great commandment church, a church that is committed to putting me first and putting others right there alongside of that and loving God and loving people. I think it's about a church that is understanding the great calling that's been placed on each of their lives to live that out. I think it's a church that has a great concern for the truth. I think it's a church that's known for great character, which is determined by the covenant that they've entered into with their God. I think it's a church that has Jesus as its great center and nothing else. And it's all for one purpose. And that's the purpose of the Great Commission. So when I say that I want us to lead people to be a great church, it has nothing to do with talking about what's right here. It's talking about that I desire for that kind of great commitment, those kind of great values for our church together. For the church, I value each of those things. My prayer is that as a group, as a people that meet here, that we would value those things. That we would be a group of Jesus followers that would live out that kind of great commitment, not only in our individual lives, but together. want you to do. I'm going to take out your welcome card in just a second. Right? Now, if you're a guest with us today, in just a moment, we're going to take the offering, and when we do, here's all that we're going to ask of you. Right? Even from this next section about what we're about to do, all that we're going to ask from you is, is that you have filled out that information card with your name and phone number, and that you'll place that in the offering basket. But if you've been with us for a little while, right, I'm going to ask you if you're willing to make that kind of commitment,
1: that kind of great commitment that I think
0: Jesus is calling us to together. If you're willing to commit to not only live out these kind of values, but to pray for them, pray for them to be present, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those who are gathered together here for the purpose of being a church. And if that's you, you say, you know what? I'll be committed to that. Even those of you that are just here part-time. You're like, no, I'm only here for a few months out of the year. Great. You can say, I'm committed to that kind of thing when I'm here to live that out. But I'm also committed to praying for you to continue to do that, to live those things out when I'm not. If that's you, if you're like, I'm committed to that, would you write on the prayer section, would you write the word, amen? Amen. Now, I want to be clear. Writing the word amen does not make you a member of our church. (laughs) Right? That's not what you're saying or not what you're stepping into right here. What you are doing is you're just saying, I agree. I agree with these values and the direction of this church. You know, Jesus in his introduction to the church said, He said, I am the amen. Now, usually, amen is not said at the beginning of things. It's usually something we say at the end, like at the end of a prayer. Or maybe after something that the preacher says that's really good. It's okay to say amen. Thank you. I I heard some, that, that was good. That was good. Now, I've always heard this. I've always heard that amen means so be it right whatever it was that was said so be it may it come to pass may it happen that away but this week i read a guy his name was david Chilton, and he said amen's a whole lot more forceful than that by the way before i tell you what he said about it did you know that amen is considered the only word that has made it across every major language in the world today it's the only word that has been found in every major language across the world today. Here's what David Chilton said about it. He said the word amen is really an oath. He said to say amen means to call down upon oneself the curses of the covenant. Great, there's never gonna be another amen in this room. (laughs) We're Just gotten rid of all of them. But listen, is not just an oath that calls down the curse upon us because it's also a recognition. It's a recognition of Jesus who took the weight of the covenant. The promises that you and I could not keep. He took on all of that in our place. Paul, the same guy who wrote the letter to the Colossians in 1 Corinthians, said this.
1: He said, for all the promises
0: of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And that is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God. his glory. So Jesus is not only our amen, but he's our ability to say amen, right? You know, there's one other thing. This set of verses in Revelation, Revelation 3.20. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone, right, if anyone hears my voice, it opens the door. We talk about the fact that Jesus was standing outside of this church, but you know what's true about this verse is that Jesus not only stands outside of a church and invites himself, he asks to be let in, but he stands outside of our lives. Lots of times I've heard guys that have talked about this, and they say, look, Jesus stands at the doorway of your heart, and he's knocking and asking if anybody will invite me into their lives. And I want to come have a relationship with know, some of you, if we're honest with ourselves right now, you'd say, you know what? I don't have a relationship. Not one where we're sitting down at the kitchen table together and we're just talking. We're doing life. Right? You don't go sit down and have dinner with people that you don't really like unless it's a corporate event. (laughs) And then you try to find people that you like to sit down with. Because we don't like to dine with people that we don't like. Said, you invite me in, i have a relationship with you. Maybe that's you. You're like, you know what? I've never done that. Never invited Jesus to have a relationship with me. Never realized that he was standing outside of my life and he desired to come and be a part of it inside. That's you on that same spot on the card where you just write Jesus. This week, someone from our staff will give you a phone call and we'll follow up with you about what it means to be a Jesus follower. Let's pray. When we get ready to pray, the usher is going to come forward because we're going to take the offering. And Dan's going to come up and they're going to lead in a song. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you have a great commitment challenge for us. God, that you don't desire for us to be lukewarm. You want us to be useful. God, that is my heart. That is what I desire, is for us to be useful for you, for the gospel that we could not only make your name known in this place, but God, that we can be a part of seeing lives that are transformed, of families that are re- United together and changed for your glory, and God, that we get to be a part of that. God, I thank you that all across the room a moment ago, as we were talking about this, that there were people that were writing down, Amen. There were people that were saying, I want to be a part of a church that is like that. I want to live that out in my own life. I want to pray for that. I want you to change my heart towards that because that is great. God help us to be great like that. We give you all of the glory, and all of the honor. And you are precious and holy name.